This episode is sponsored by Celestron, manufacturer of high-quality telescopes and an industry leader in developing exciting optical products with revolutionary technologies. I'm Kelly Beattie of Sky and Telescope magazine, and tonight we're going on a tour of the stars and planets that you'll see overhead during July. First, I'll offer some stargazing tips, then we'll check dates for the moon's phases, watch Saturn migrate into the evening sky, and tour the stars of summer. All that in just 10 minutes, so grab your curiosity and come along on this month's Sky Tour. Let's begin with a pop quiz. At this time of year, is Earth closer or farther from the sun? You might think it's closer because of summer's heat, but don't forget that it's winter right now for everyone living south of the equator. Anyway, early on July 4th is when Earth reaches aphelion, the point in its orbit most distant from the sun. On that date, we're 1.7% farther away than average. Okay, let's get outside and observe the night sky. You know, most people think of stargazing as something you have to do with a telescope. Nope, not the case at all. The night sky is beautiful and often breathtaking when you just gaze upward with your eyes alone. So let me offer a few simple tips for getting the most out of what I call eyeball astronomy. As always, you'll see more of the night's offerings if you can find a wide open spot that's far away from bright lights. It doesn't matter whether you go to a neighborhood soccer field or trek far out of town. Anything you can do to get to a darker location will help. Of course, you'll also see more stars when the moon is not bright. Next, you'll also see more by giving your eyes time to adjust to the darkness. You probably know that the pupils of your eyes expand in darkness, letting more light reach the retina, and that's part of it. But the sensors that our eyes use for night vision, called rods, respond to dark surroundings by secreting the protein rhodopsin, sometimes called visual purple. Rhodopsin gradually builds up as you stand there in the dark, fortifying the ability of your rods to see faint light. It takes your eyes 30 minutes or longer to become fully dark adapted. By the way, any blast of white light, like from a flashlight or car headlights, destroys the rhodopsin, meaning you have to wait for it to build up all over again. For us northerners, July is a time of long, hot days. And when the sky is hazy and stagnant, you'll see that stars don't seem to twinkle very much because we're seeing them through relatively calm air. Astronomers refer to this as good seeing because what you see through a telescope or by eye looks steadier than would normally be the case. But when it's hazy, the sky's transparency or clarity isn't very good. On the best of nights, the atmosphere is both calm and transparent. Finally, you might wonder how I can say something like, go out around 8 p.m. to see such and such. How can that be true no matter where you are? Well, it's because time zones were created to closely match the sun's location in the sky, regardless of your longitude. So what I see in the night sky at 10 p.m. in Boston is almost exactly what you'll see at 10 p.m. in, say, San Francisco. There can be a little difference that depends on your latitude, but for the most part, my stargazing tips will work all across the U.S., or in southern Canada, or in Europe, or even Asia. But not so much in the southern hemisphere, I'm afraid. Maybe someday, when Sky Tour gets wildly popular, 
I'll do a version for our stargazing friends in Australia, South America, and Southern Africa. As has been the case often this year, the moon's cycle of phases follows the monthly calendar pretty closely. Because new moon came and went on June 29th, watch for a slender crescent moon to emerge low in the west during twilight on the first evenings of July. First quarter follows on the night of July 6th, and the full moon on July 13th. Last quarter occurs on the 20th, and new moon on the 28th. Let me point out three things about this month's full moon on the 13th. First, it's called the full buck moon, so called by Native Americans because that's when they noticed new antlers pushing out of the foreheads of buck deer. And it's sometimes called the full thunder moon because thunderstorms are common this time of year. Second, this will appear to be the largest full moon all year, just a hair bigger than June's, because it occurs several hours after the moon passes closest to the Earth in its orbit. And no doubt you'll hear this called a supermoon, though honestly, the extra big size isn't obvious at all. Third, for those of us at northern latitudes, you'll notice that the full moon doesn't get very high in the night sky. There's an explanation for that. A full moon is almost directly opposite the sun in the sky, give or take a few degrees. So, right now, as you're listening, stretch out your arms to the side so they form a straight line. Go ahead, no one's watching. Think of one hand as the sun and the other one the moon. Now, if you raise one arm, you have to drop the other one to keep that straight line, right? So, in July, when the sun rides high up during daylight, the full moon is positioned low down. Just the opposite is true in winter. The sun is drearily low in the sky, even at noon, but at night the full moon soars high above us. And that, by the way, is true whether you live in Alaska or Argentina. If you checked in for last month's sky tour, you heard me say that during June, before dawn, the five planets visible just to the eye, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, could all be seen in that sequence, which is their order outward from the Sun. Now you can still watch this unusual planet parade during the first days of July, but Mercury is sinking fast in the dawn twilight, so don't wait. Meanwhile, Saturn, at the far end of the planet lineup, is gradually moving westward with each passing day. In fact, as July opens, you can spot Saturn either an hour before sunrise, which means getting up very early, or you can watch it rise over the eastern horizon around 11 p.m. By month's end, Saturn rises in the evening two hours sooner, around 9 p.m., and Jupiter pops into view around 11. This is your first taste of the grand march of these two planets across the evening sky that will occur during the last few months of 2022. Definitely something I'll look forward to seeing. To make sure you know which planet is which, use the moon to guide you. July features some nice lunar link-ups, as my Sky and Telescope colleague Gary Saronic calls them. For example, very late on the evening of July 15th, the waning gibbous moon rises after Saturn and sits several degrees below it in the east. Then, before dawn on the 19th, the not-quite-last-quarter moon is to Jupiter's lower left. Two mornings later, it's not far from Mars. And on the 26th, a razor-thin lunar crescent floats in the pre-dawn twilight, low in the east, just a few degrees above easy-to-spot Venus. 
So, to recap, throughout July, right after the sun sets and it's getting dark, you'll have no bright planets in view. They're all in the pre-dawn sky. But there are lots of pretty stars and constellations to check out, and we'll do that next. As the sun sinks from view, scan the western sky for bright stars. Easiest to spot is Arcturus, very bright and most of the way up from the southwestern horizon to overhead. Over to its right is the Big Dipper, seemingly hanging by its handle in the evening sky. Almost directly below Arcturus, by about three times the width of your clenched fist held at arm's length, is the icy white star Spica. It's the alpha star in the constellation Virgo, the Maiden. But there's nothing particularly ladylike about this stellar beacon. It's actually two stars whirling around each other so fast and so close that they've distorted each other into egg shapes. And that's a good thing Spica is 850 light-years away. It outshines the sun by more than 12,000 times with intense, lethally high-energy light. Not the kind of star you'd want to have right next door to our solar system. And here's a little factoid. Spica is represented, along with 26 other stars, on the flag of Brazil. Now, which one is Spica? It's the only star positioned above the flag's white band. Back in the sky, to the left of Spica, by about five fists, is the bright star Antares, the heart of Scorpius. Can you tell that Antares has a reddish tinge compared to icy white Spica? Antares has its own claim to fame. It's a red supergiant about 550 light-years away, and it's one of the largest stars known, almost 700 times bigger than our Sun. In fact, if you swapped in Antares for our Sun, it would take up all the inner solar system out to the orbit of Mars and then some. To the left of Antares, by two or three fists, is a group of stars in the constellation Sagittarius that are shaped like a teapot. In fact, that's what astronomers call it, the teapot. Look for four medium-bright stars in the shape of a trapezoid that form the pot. Highest up is the pointy top. The handle is off to the left and the spout to the right. The whole thing is a bit bigger than your clenched fist. This is a fairly obvious star pattern, or asterism. None of the stars in the teapot is particularly obvious, but they all closely match in brightness, and that helps the pattern stand out. Finally, there's a meteor shower that peaks on July 30th, when the sky will be moon-free. It's called the Southern Delta Aquariids. That's a mouthful, but the clue here is that these shooting stars appear to radiate across the sky from the constellation Aquarius. For us in the Northern Hemisphere, Aquarius is well above the southern horizon for a couple of hours before and a few hours after local midnight. So if you're out late and watching from a very dark location, you might see 10 or 20 per hour. Good luck. Thanks for letting me expand your celestial horizons for another month. If you want more tips for viewing the night sky, including a free interactive star chart for any time or date, check out our website, skyandtelescope.org. If you haven't already subscribed, you can find this sky tour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And if you've enjoyed listening, please let me know by leaving a rating or a review. I really welcome your feedback. And if you want to explore the solar system and universe more deeply, 
check out the full line of binoculars and telescopes available at Celestron.com. Sky Tour is a production of Sky and Telescope, a division of the American Astronomical Society, and is produced by me, Kelly Beattie. Next month, we'll look for steam coming from that celestial teapot and what that has to do with the Milky Way. Until then, I wish you clear skies.